1: Ah, welcome to Hurt Tell on this Wednesday, April the 6th, year of our Lord 2022. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us. little different program today. We always talk about turning down the noise of the news cycle and getting to the information that matters. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're just going to have our guest for the entirety of the program today, uh, Delegate Danielle Walker. She represents the 51st District in the House of Delegates for the great state of West Virginia. That's the Morgantown area, Monongalia County. We're going to talk to her about some really hot-button issues and some things that are going on in West Virginia, because you know how much I love West Virginia, but it's also universal things, things like the CPS system, things like uh, broadband, uh, food deserts, things like this. Those are political things that can be fixed, but we really wanted to have her on to talk the cultural issues that have bled over into the political process. We're going to talk about some issues like CRT legislation and education. We're going to talk about things like the Crown Act. And maybe you may not be super familiar with why that is important to certain segments of the population. And as she'll tell you, she was even surprised when they started pushing it. It wasn't just minorities that came out with stories of how it affected them. We're going to talk about some of those hot button issues, but the key word there is talk. No, Delegate Walker and I don't agree on everything. We probably disagree on a lot of things, but this is a conversation. This is grown folk talk. We're going to listen. We're going to hear each other out. We want you to hear her perspective on things. Uh, There's also a great piece. You know, we always end on a happy or a higher note or something that's a little bit more uplifting that comes from our guest today. Uh, She has a piece of legislation that's very personal to her, but will also be instrumental in saving many, many lives. It passed overwhelmingly. It was a great moment because we're going to bash the uh, House of Delegates in West Virginia a little bit today on their inaction on certain things. They came together on a bill that's very, very close to delegate Walker's heart. So why do we do this? Uh, this is us putting our money where our mouth is as to what kind of a program we want heard tell to be. We said from the beginning, we have everybody on here. We have conservatives, we have libertarians, we have progressives, we have folks that we're not exactly sure what they are sometimes, but we want to hear viewpoints from everybody. It doesn't change our viewpoints, but it changes our perspective. You always want to have a wide perspective and never get caught in an echo chamber. There's plenty of that out there. And that's one of the reasons we started doing this program was we just couldn't find anywhere where you could get multiple viewpoints still grounded in principles. We're not going to change who we are at the core, but we can adjust how we do things and how we view certain things based on the world around us. Because what happens is, if you sit down and talk to people like Delegate Walker was good enough to do with us here, you get past the ideologies and the buzzwords and even the policies to a large extent and realize what you're really dealing with is people. And if you can keep things people-centered, even on things that have a great divide on them, You can at least empathize. You can at least sympathize maybe a little bit, and you can start finding some inroads to make things better. Because the truth of it is just othering each other and making everybody the bad guy isn't going to really do us any good because we're still going to all be having to live together. We have a representational system of government. And if all we do is make the other person the enemy or the other side the enemy or otherize them into their ideology and buzzwords and start forgetting that they're people, we're just digging trenches. We're all going to die in, at least metaphorically. So today, we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're going to talk to Delegate Danielle Walker uh, from the West Virginia House of Delegates. Uh, she's been a longtime activist. She has a wonderful story that she's going to lead off on. What brought her to West Virginia? Why she loves the state so much? going to delve into the history of it. We're going to talk about touchy issues, CRT, race. Uh, what does it mean when somebody says colorblind? How does that land with her? Going to talk about the Crown Act, going to talk about how discrimination like that affects freedom and liberty, something we should all be able to agree on. This is going to be grown folks' stuff. So prepare yourself, but we're very proud of it. We're happy to bring it to you. You'll probably be challenged on your thinking. You might get mad at some points. You might go, hmm, in some points. And we hope at the end of this, you will have learned something. Thrilled to have Delegate Danielle Walker with us on the program today. Hope you enjoy it. We'll continue with her right after this on her tail. Uh, Welcome back to Herd Tell. I am very excited about this. Uh, Thrilled to have with us a sitting delegate from the great state of West Virginia's legislature. Uh, She represents the 51st District. That's Montgomery County. That's up around Morgantown Way. Uh, The right honorable, because you are an office holder, Danielle Walker. How are you, ma'am? Thank you so much for the time today.
0: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I am humbly honored to get the invite and actually make time to be here to speak with everyone.
1: I'm thrilled to death to have you. Um, Let's just start right there, because I I know when I tell people I'm from West Virginia, it's in all my bio stuff. I'm proud of being West Virginia. Of course, we get all the jokes, you know, like when I went to basic training and they applauded when I got my first pair of shoes and we can tell the teeth teeth brush, toothbrush joke again. We can do all that. People usually don't think about racial diversity when it comes to West Virginia, and there's a reason for that. It's one of the least diverse states. But those of us from there, there's a very proud tradition of minorities in the state, larger Appalachian. There's a rich history there for good and bad. Just talk about that for a second, because you are the only female uh, woman of color in the legislature. There's five of y'all all all together. Um, It's not a lot, but there is a rich history there. And the present history is very, very vibrant, isn't it?
0: It is. And what is so pleasing is that I chose West Virginia. I am originally from Louisiana, born and raised. And so I decided to stay after moving here in 2010 when my ex-husband moved back down south. And so West Virginia is my second chance home. She fought and saved me when I didn't think I had the strength to do it myself. So every day I will wake up and be very thankful for wild and wonderful West Virginia.
1: Yeah, I love that story. And I, I did some TDY time in central Louisiana. They can't make fun of us too awful bad. There's some great folks down there. There's some weird folks in law too, but we love them. Uh, your passion for the state comes out in a variety of issues. Talk about it though, because you are in a super minority in the legislature as a Democrat, as a progressive Democrat. Uh, but y'all still getting some legislation. Our mutual friend, Kayla Young, who's been on the program. She was joking. She finally lost one. She was like nine for 10 this session. Uh, you're still getting some things done. Mathematically, we understand the constraints. Um, obviously, there's some things you want to do that are just not practical, but you're still moving the ball on some issues. Talk about being in a super minority like that and still trying to find some inroads on certain issues. Obviously, there's some stuff that you know you just fight the fight you know you're going to lose because it's a thing, but there's been some, some real areas of compromise in a couple places, hasn't there?
0: There has been uh, a lot of compromise in many areas. And what is so great about the people in West Virginia is that we actually place the people over politics. And what a lot of folks don't see is 85% of the time we vote with each other. It's just those issues that we are at totally opposite ends that we see a different perspective. So, we know that we want to move the state forward. We know that we want infrastructure in the state. We know that we have certain deserts in childcare and food. But we also know that we want to fight to have a livable wage for each and every person who is working within the borders of the state. How we get to that, that's where the compromise comes from, because we both have to be active listeners the supermajority and the superminority.
1: And there's a couple issues in there. We're going to talk about a couple. There are hot button ones with you. That's why we invited you in. But there's a couple of real people think of them as simple policy things, but they're not when it comes to West Virginia. There's things like broadband. There's things you talked about food deserts a little bit. It's a long way to the store for a lot of folks in central and southern West Virginia. Uh, you, you get Charleston and the panhandles and then the great middle kind of gets left behind on a lot of things. I've told the story on this program many times. Friend of mine's real estate development, they got the map on the wall and they got the line where Frontier starts and they don't even try to develop in there because they can't sell it out of state. The, these are simple things that are more policy than the cultural politics stuff that gets real hot button issues. This seems like the area we really need to focus on a lot of stuff. I know we have the noise of the other things. Do you see a way going forward on those more practical issues of, okay, the, these we all agree on need to be done. We need to just hash out how to get it done.
0: Exactly, and that's why the legislature has interim meetings, and in those meetings, we do case studies on different things that's affecting different mountaineers in different areas. And with the economic development um, that is ran by Mitch Carmichael, as he is the director, he is coming in and also listening to the concerns of what we hear from our constituents, And so just having those open doors of communication is opening more doors of what we need to make sure that the people of West Virginia are not just surviving, but thriving. Broadband is a big issue. Um, When we look at infrastructure, we need to also consider childcare and the different forms of childcare. And it's not necessarily driving to a nursery, but those unconventional ways of who is being the caretaker of the child while the parent or the guardian is at work. And we also have to look at what we have right now. We are in the middle of a pandemic with a drug epidemic problem here in West Virginia.
1: Yeah. And since you brought it up, I'll just go ahead and bring it up something that just breaks my heart um, the there is an absolute crisis. We know the opioid epidemic. West Virginia is ground zero for it. We know the pandemic through it. We know about the population loss, and underneath that, and the legislature um, should have dealt with it, frankly, and did not, in my opinion. You can give your opinion on it. The CPS system in West Virginia has been bad for years. This is absolutely broken it. Um, I I'm somewhat at a loss for words, but you're there. You were in the meetings. You've seen the stats. You've talked to the CPS workers. Just how bad is the CPS system in West Virginia right now? All, all respect to the workers who are trying to do the best they can in a really bad and broken system. We don't want to you know, besmirch them, but this is beyond crisis level what's happening with Child Protective Services in the state of West Virginia right now, isn't it?
0: It is. We are in, I feel, as a dire state of emergency, and I want to definitely make sure that we are elevating those CPS workers. But under CPS, we always look at the children, but we also need to look for adult services also, our elders that are being abused as from different caretakers and family members because the addiction is so bad. And it's not just addiction. You have financial abuse also. What can we do? Well, we looked at remapping um, DHHR and the governor vetoed the bill. So what can we do? We looked at giving a livable wage to the CPS workers, but what else can we do? Why do we not have a functioning flowing um, revenue stream, and also more people applying for those jobs? My, my concern with CPS is the children and the families. I don't think any child that the state of West Virginia has taken should be escorted out of state for someone else to take care of that child. I have a problem with that. Any child that was removed from their home should not go to a hotel to stay in, leaving from one situation and being placed in another. I have a problem with that. And we don't have the system where we can see exactly where our foster kinship parents are available because our computer system is so old. And just like the pandemic, we got caught up in a whirlwind real quick. So we went through a whole bunch of natural disasters with the drug epidemic and especially opioid. So it's like we had a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, and a tsunami hit the state all at one time because the drugs level just, it superseded. It went from our children being addicted to our workforce being addicted to now grandparents taking care of children, great aunties, school personnel, because they know the child being accepted as kinship. And there's too many cracks that different situations is falling through. And I'm there not only to listen to those foster care, kinship and adoptive parents, but also listen to the children that's being affected. I'm a proud board member of West Virginia CASA and we definitely need those volunteers to link up with those children and families so we can make sure that we have a functional, effective, proficient, loving stream to care for our children of West Virginia.
1: We continue our discussion with Delegate Daniel Walker of the West Virginia House of Delegates Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger or just stop by, Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I remember uh, talking to delegate uh, Danielle Walker with us. I, I remember going home for a funeral uh, summer before last, and I was talking to you know guy I grew up with, played went to church together, played pickup ball together. He's now a, a judge in West Virginia, and he just looked at me with almost dead eyes, going. I got one case as a mom and the next case is a dad. What am I supposed to do? Like just, just the, the the people don't understand. And we've covered it on this show with folks like Dr. Keith Humphreys. These things have blast. These, this isn't an addict laying on the street. These are, these people have blast radiuses that go off in these communities and these families. It overloads the healthcare system. It overloads the criminal justice system. It overloads a CPS system that by the, by the way has been bad for decades. Let's just be clear about that. It was already broken. Um, I don't even know how to really start with this because it's it's almost beyond a cultural problem now, isn't it? It's beyond a policy problem. It's a resource problem when there's absolutely no resource to pull from. So I, I understand you have some legislative things you're trying to do. Is it just down to volunteerism where it's just one more case of West Virginians are just going to have to take care of themselves here? Or What are we going to do?
0: We need the community. We need to go back to the days when. We were one where it takes a village to raise a child. That's exactly what we need. We all need to get uncomfortable for many moments so this can be a movement in the right direction. We need first responders on hand, and that is fire department, that is our um, QRTs, Um, that is our law enforcement. We EMTs, we need everyone up front and personal. What, What is affecting our most vulnerable and that's our children and our seniors. And so it is more than volunteerism, it is changing from being an ally to an accomplice. So that's going to those city council meetings, that's going to the county commission meetings, that's making sure that we have all the stakeholders upfront and we're actually listening that's keeping up with the numbers of what we call um these centers when there is no placement for these children what is the process when we when when children in the foster care system age out are we making sure that we're touching each and every child because we have over 7000 over 7000 we got to do better west virginia
1: yeah and I I say it and people think I'm being overly dramatic about it, but it's really true. I saw the census data. West Virginians, we need to start treating being West Virginia like being an endangered species. I'm over I'm over a lot of the noise of it and like, let me find some people that are trying to because I, I got a little grief about, well, why do you talk to this person or why do you promote this person that's like I was like, listen, like this is an extension level. To, there, there's not a lot of us left and there's going to be even less of us left with the drug, the opioid crisis, the child care crisis the dropping population. I love West Virginia. I want there to be a West Virginia hundred years from now. And we're not on a path for that right now. And I like, I, I don't care where I can get an ally for that. Our, our folks are dying and I don't want us to pass quietly into the night without doing what we've always done as West Virginians and been like, no, we're, we're going to figure this out one way or the other. And we're going to make this work no matter how dark it gets. And I know the people there know that, but I don't think our government, and I don't think that's both state and federal. And I don't think the people who honestly, I think they want to try to help. I don't think they understand that part of it. Do they, do we do a good job of conveying that or is it just one of those things where the stereotypes get in the way?
0: I think it's very stereotypical, right? Because when you go through the CPS channels of reporting, and then that investigation happens, whether you leave the child in the house and get resources and wraparound services for that child and the whole family, or whether you remove that child and then you have to start with different placing agencies, right? And so we need to make sure that there is, just like there is a flow of the reporting and placing, there needs to be a flow of sustainability right? If we're going to reu- reunite this child with this family, we need to make sure that we have a different worker there to make sure that they're checking in on this family weekly, monthly. And what does that mean? We need an increase population of workers. We need another entity, another level of that. But we need to also make sure that that family has transportation to get back and forth to the job, because that's what the judge ordered for them to do right we need to make sure that we have counseling services for that family that is opposite of the hours that they are employed because a new employment you don't automatically get family medical leave right you don't get that paid time off and you can sacrifice that but then you can also get a write-up if you in a um, 90-day streamline of of whether they're going to keep you as an employee or not And so we have to make sure that we are working with all entities. So this is a perfect place where we need the chamber of commerce to come in and fight for these families, right? We need um, corporations to come in and fight for these families, but we also need to make sure that we have a mental health capability and function to this also. And we need funding. This has to have a funding mechanism.
1: Yeah, and a consistent funding mechanism. Uh, we're talking to Delegate Danielle Walker uh, from the great state of West Virginia. Uh, we're going to get into some deep issues. There's going to be some grown folk talk coming after the break. We're going to talk about the Crown Act, going to talk about education, that CRT uh, a- acronym that gets everybody all out of sorts. And uh, we're going to end on a good note as well. But more with Danielle Walker right after this. It's her to continues. Hi, welcome back to Hurt Tell, continuing with Delegate Danielle Walker out of the 51st District of the great state of West Virginia. Y'all know how much I love my home state, uh, but now it's time for some grown folk talk on some tough issues. There's been a couple very controversial bills. Uh, let's start with one that actually just got it, uh, some play in the U.S. Congress, but you've been trying to get it done in West Virginia. It's called the Crown Act. Um l- l- it, it deals with a prejudice, but let's assume a wide spectrum of the prejudice comes out of ignorance. So let's deal with the ignorant. For people that just don't understand or don't know or maybe they just haven't been exposed to different ethnicities, why is this such an important thing to folks? the Crown Act, natural hair care, these types of issues? How would you when, you, when you're having these meetings in Charleston, I'm sure you've had to just sit down and explain it to somebody like, okay, this is what this really means and this is what we're trying to change. How do you go about that?
0: Well, what we what we have to first look at is what the dark past has taught us. And when it came to natural hair and the black in the black and brown communities, it was always discriminatory. When we look back in the 1700s, there was a bill by Louisiana governor called the Teon Act, and a Teon is a hairdressing where you tie your hair up. And it was focused on freed Black women. It was a group of white women who went to the governor who said, the exotic styles of hair that these women are wearing, they are bringing chaos to our husbands. We need this to stop. So the governor deemed this the Tion on law where free Black women had to tie up their hair so they wouldn't be a distraction to others. But what they did in tying their hair, they embedded it. They bedazzled the scarves. They dyed the scarves. They put gold ornaments on the hair. And so that brought on some generational trauma. When you look at braiding, and we must understand that Black history didn't start with slavery, but in the United States of America, it's something that is very deep. where you see black people in the Operation, right? So braiding was a style. It was it was something that was cultural from Africa. And what these men and women started doing was braiding maps to the north in their hair. What they used their hair and the braiding for was to put seeds from their native land as they were moving from one plantation to another, or even as an indentured servant or a freed person, they would embed the seeds in their hair so they can keep that as heirlooms. Fast forward, we started with the Afro, and that brought some political strings like why are we doing this? We got away from the European style of putting perms and relaxers and straightening hair. So we went through the 60s with the civil rights movement of Afros and then we started transitioning things back. But as we learn history, the style started to come back again. So braiding, so we look at a French braid, have no problems with it. But when you start looking at locks and bantu knots and and different type of protective styles, then that was deemed as being unprofessional. When you were going to an interview, you made sure that you didn't wear your natural hair or you wore a wig um, that you thought would be accepting to the person that was going to interview you. And after you got the job and you went through your 90 days, then you may have started a little bit at a time, start expressing yourself, whether that would be with the corn roll, which was like, what are you doing to your hair? Like, we prefer your hair the other way. Then the write-ups would come. And then if you went to micro braids, then it would be like, um, so are you going like to Jamaica on vacation? Like, why would you do that to your hair? And then it was like, can I touch your hair? Or, um yeah that's just that's not what this office and what this corporation is about, and then it may even be a highlight for a landlord who doesn't know what well, this person is coming in here with corn rolls, like are they gonna sell drugs? um what kind of people are it' gonna be visiting? Um, the place that they want to lease to. And so those discriminatory things happen when you go into a business, even though you're going to sit at the restaurant, but you just need to use the restroom because maybe you were on a two and a half hour ride. You come in and you go, can I use the restroom? And they're like, "Mm, customers only. Well, we need a table. Mm, We're full. You need a reservation. So these are the things that we, and if you've never been through it, And what I've learned the first year that I introduced the Crown Act in West Virginia in 2019, when we opened it up and we wanted hair stories, it just didn't come from people of color. It came from people who have um, naturally curly hair. It came from people who were natural redheads. And it traumatized me more of the hidden jokes and the things that these folks went through with their hair. It, it, It came from... White males who wanted longer hair during the 60s, right? And so then we had to make sure we had that seesaw of elevation and equity. Dying of hair and the natural way my hair grows from my scalp is not the same comparison. And so we had to educate in an open public forum And the bill has never made it on any of the committee agendas. So I can never really have this conversation with my colleagues unless it was a student. Like we had the student in Beckley who was discriminated against in the basketball game. His football coach had no problem with his locks, but his black basketball coach did. And that young man went into that locker room and tried to comb his hair out. And it wasn't yes, I introduced the legislation, but when his mother went with the lobbyists to the Senate side and Senator Trump heard the pain and the exhaustion of this mother, he originated the bill in the Senate. That's who we are as Mountaineers.
1: Yeah. And for the people that say, well, businesses have a right to Uh, Say what they deem professional. Okay, that's fair enough, but let's consider this. The United States military relaxed their standard on natural hair uh, in 2014, although they worked on that for a couple years before that happened. They uh, released their restraints on locks in 2017 and they just redid it again last year in 2021, because they can come to find out it's really, really hard to get exact. Um, it's the military. So they're like three quarter inch one and a quarter inch. It's really hard to get locks in that exact thing. So they did re, they went back and revisited again uh, last year. Uh, if the military where it really is a life and death issue to make sure you have a dress and appearance, I think we can do something with discrimination because again, what's the point? Do you want to fight the Hill over how somebody looks or do you want to get people jobs and by extension, freedom, because economic freedom is freedom. That's where I fall on that. And it's one of those things where, look, I didn't know not, a whole lot about it. I grew up in the middle of West Virginia, where we were, you know, ninety nine percent white because we had, you know, Chinese restaurant and that sort of thing. That I didn't know either until I went in the military. And now I have peers, and then I had subordinates, and I'd have female troops, and I found out, like, man, it takes them two hours to get a uniform appropriate to come to work every morning. And we taught we. <laughs> Let me ask you it this way. Is it one of those things where we talk about discrimination in such big terms? And we should, because, you know, racism is a problem. Prejudice is a problem. There's a lot of this little everyday stuff that, like you said with that, if we just tell the human side of it, it's like, this is my experience. Hear me out on this. I think we could turn down the noise on a lot of this stuff and just connect on a human level. You'll still have the people who just want to be evil and and don't want to give people a fair shot. But I think the vast majority of people, those stories would hit home, don't they?
0: Of course they do. Um, And this is why we do the Crown Act rally every year in the legislature. I want to commend my colleagues who came down this particular session and listen. And at the moment, there was um, three high school students that were speaking their lived experience of the discrimination that they went through. And right after that, there was a young lady who was on a cheer competition team who spoke her truth, and you could see the pain, but the resiliency in them taking a stand of being comfortable in wearing their natural hair. And a lot of it is protective styles. So you can accept someone who wears a protective style if they are a cancer patient and they lose all their hair. We can accept them wearing a scarf or a headdress, right? We can accept them wearing a wig. But as an African-American woman, can you accept the diversity? Because I don't look like I have a certain illness. I do. And these protective styles keep me from being sicker than what I am, right? It's the years of relaxing your hair and having those harsh chemicals. Now there are studies that they can promote breast cancer a little bit faster in African-American women. Than anybody else in the US. So these are the things. There's science behind this, um, and there's studies behind this, and there's real harm behind this. And it's time that we move forward.
1: We continue our discussion with Delegate Danielle Walker of the West Virginia House of Delegates right after this on Her Tell. Um, another hot button issue talking to a delegate, the right honorable, because you're a sitting office holder, uh, Danielle Walker, appreciate your time today on this. Uh, a tough topic, we'll just touch on it briefly, though, but uh, education has been a lot of people's mind. There was an education bill that uh, went forward in West Virginia. It's Let's call it what it is. It's dead identical to about 20 other states is because these are all kind of coming from the same places the crt debate got flopped over top of the whole thing because that's the buzzword one and that's the one that gets fundraising and that's the one that gets attention put this let's do this like we did the hair thing though put it on a personal level though because for folks that don't know in the state of west virginia every eighth grader including me including everybody else that was in eighth grade you have to take a semester of west virginia history all Mm -hmm. right love it's called the golden horseshoe i was robbed in 92 but let's not get into that um when when you deal with history When I took West Virginia history, there just wasn't a lot, the hidden figures thing I didn't know about, even though I grew up an hour from there. Uh, The Hawksnest Tunnel disaster, I bet a lot of people don't know about that. Hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of black men from the South purposely recruited without families that died on that mountain. Uh, The mines were the same way in a lot of cases back in the days, places like Welch down in the coalfield. There's a, some of it's dark, but it's a very rich history that doesn't get taught. But because they're legislating on the bill, and I'm I'm just going to put it this way, part of my problem with the CRT legislation is you, legislation has to be black and white, and these folks can't even define what CRT is, pro and con. You're writing bills now where I think you're going to have a big problem teaching much of anything. Is that how it landed with you, too? Because you have a perspective that I don't have. You tell me, how should we be addressing these issues? Because I know for a fact, because I grew up in West Virginia, and I came through West Virginia schools. They don't teach this stuff, and I doubt it's gotten a whole lot better. Uh, how do we make it better without having this nebulous legislation that's just going to kind of muddle the water on everything at best and harm things at worst?
0: The best way that we can go through this is to lean on the professionals that are in the classroom, and that is our educators. And our educators have master's degrees in doctorates in the classroom. There is always an open line of communication. My family moved here in 2010. My oldest son, my late son, was an eighth grader. All of us learned that eighth grade history. What we did not learn was Catherine Johnson, Carter G. Woodson. The father of Black History Month never came across that. We didn't learn about Booker T. Washington, Harpers Ferry. We did not know of the many festivals we hadn't heard about the Osage community that's right here in Montegalli County. And so why do we want history to remain hidden? And what is that going to really do for the students of West Virginia? Presentation without presence is powerless. And we are all power. Now, when we speak about certain things of migration and immigration and slave trade and civil rights, even to modern day, and we speak about lynching, you you can't forget about Emmett Till. And I do my due diligence especially doing black history one is to pick up. I just didn't pick up any black history. I chose West Virginia black history for a reason. And to have my friend, my colleague, a Republican from the Charleston area delegate Pack says, I learned something every time you post something and it's on Twitter. So it's just one, two sentences, that's it. He said, and I've lived here all my life. I'm gonna go back and take a ride through Charleston again if we can start being open-minded, I don't want you to feel anything, but I don't want you to disregard the generational trauma. Most hurtful is removing books about Ruby Bridges, Martin Luther King Jr. and Galileo from certain school libraries, I have a problem with that because that's the first persons that you use to quote. Katherine Johnson is an honorable American just as Robert C. Byrd is. But you see Robert C. Bird name on many hospitals all over, Roads, bridges, but Katherine Johnson had to hit the big screen for you to know her name, not even remember it.
1: 36 things in the state of West Virginia with Robert Seabird's name on it. For those of you keeping score at home, talking to Danielle Walker, I want to ask you this question. It's a little indelicate, but I'm just going to phrase it to you the way you said it. Yes. Let me phrase it to you this way. Because the response to this is, I've heard it from friends on the right and the left, some of them too, they say, well, this just makes it too uh, controversial. We want to have a colorblind society. We want to treat everybody equally. You had a quote when you were speaking to a crowd. It was actually during a rally back about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about this because the way you phrased it, I want you to explain it to, to me and the folks in the audience as well. You said, and I'm paraphrasing it just a bit, you said, um, the problem with being colorblind is if everybody's colorblind, then they'll never actually see me. What is it you meant by that, that they won't see you? Because it sounds good. We want to live in a colorblind society. We want everybody to be equal. But what does that mean to you when you say, well, then they don't see me? Does that tie into all that history we were just talking about?
0: It does. And it goes back. And I may get a little emotional. It goes back to being three and a half years old, when my mother and father sat me down and said I had three strikes against me. Now, please don't judge my parents because I love them dearly. Number one, you're black. Number two, you're a female. And number three, I'm sorry, baby, we are poor. I didn't use those things as an excuse. I didn't use those things to keep my head down. I use those three strikes to motivate me because my parents were realist, right? So that meant for every application, it asked about my race. How can we have a colorblind society? Whether I apply for a job whether I'm getting a driver's license, it is a marker of who I am, race. And so why, where does the colorblindness come from? Now many folks, it could say that this is my religion, this is what's in the Bible. Well, then that's discriminatory also because not everyone practices a religion. Not everyone reads the Bible. It is my faith, and I hold it near and dear to my heart. But when you say you want to be colorblind, do you blind out my natural hair? When you say you want to be colorblind, do you blind out my tattoos? When you say you want to be colorblind, Do you take away my statute of being a six-foot, 300-pound woman? Do you go colorblind if you see my sons walking into a store and you clutch your purse? Do you go colorblind when you see certain people wear certain clothes, listening to certain music? So when are we actually truly colorblind? We are human. So I need you to see me. I need you to see beyond this beautiful black skin that I was so graciously graciously blessed to be in. I need you to see the mind. I need you to not only hear the words that's coming out my mouth, but I want you to understand them. I want you to be an active listener. I want us to work together. I don't want to hand out. I need a hand up at times. But just as I'm reaching my hand up for you to help me, my other hand is reaching for someone else to come to that same level. This is true equity. But we can't ask for diversity, equity, and inclusion if you're not seeing me. So I need you to see me,
1: all of me. We continue our discussion with Delegate Daniel Walker of the West Virginia House of Delegates right after this on Her Tell. <music> Delegate Daniel Walker, uh, so appreciate that. Just real quick, I want to end on a high note. Uh, it's not all fisticuffs in the West Virginia legislature. Um, it's your story. So I'll let you tell it. You got a bill passed that is very, very meaningful to you on a personal level. The Dimitri Walker blood program legislation, just real quickly in the time we got remaining, can you let folks know what that is? And a, a great moment together, uh, saw a lot of folks crying when they signed that thing, uh, both sides of the aisle, uh, including you, uh, understandably let folks know what that was real briefly. And that, uh, one of the great moments, uh, of West Virginians coming together, let them know what that was.
0: Exactly. Dimitri Walker is my late son who took his last breath on June 19, 2021, due to some complications to leukemia. Being an African American, bone marrow was going to be our next step forward. This was not the first time Dimitri had a bone marrow biopsy, he was diagnosed in less than a month and died. So I wanted to make sure that we brought awareness to every West Virginia. So House Bill 4631 was signed by Governor Justice on March 28th and it is the bone marrow and peripheral blood stem donation program that will be an online brochure that will be um, monitored by the National Marrow Bone Donor Program. That's where we're gonna get all the information from. We will make sure we have all the stakeholders there this is a, a new progressive form of health care here in our wonderful state where we have so many wonderful health care facilities, people learning about health care, and this is keeping my sons, my king, life and legacy alive. And I am so humbly honored that my colleagues stood with me, by me because they heard and they seen our story thank you
1: yeah i uh i very happy to have you with us uh delegate daniel walker today i like emphasizing the things where we can find some agreement on there's plenty of stuff we don't agree on but uh part of grown folk talk people we've lost this in social media just people just know what they don't agree with so they just don't waste a lot of time on it they just spend some time i like doing that uh I do hope to have you back again soon. There's going to be a lot of other issues. There's some stuff I want to get to. We just ran out of time for today. So I want to have you back until we get you back on the program. though, let folks know where they can follow you, social media, your website, and where they can keep up with what you're doing in the West Virginia legislature and in your advocacy as well.
0: Yes. So we are on all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Delegate Danielle Walker, Danielle Walker for House. We are on Twitter, Danny for WV. We are on Instagram, same thing, Danny for WV. We have a website, uh, DanielleWalkerWV.com. Please follow us. Please send us your policy ideas. Please let's have a, a grown folks conversation, as Andrew said, and I'm always here to do my job, but I need you to do yours too.
1: Yep. I appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for the time out of your busy schedule. I know you got some really exciting and important stuff coming up that we won't reveal here. You can do that on your own. Uh, You can tell us all about it next time you come back. Look forward to talking to you again, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ah, That'll do it for Hurtel today. A little bit different program, but this goes into the core of what we do at Hurtel. We turn down the noise and get to the information we need. And sometimes that involves talking to people and listening, folks you normally wouldn't hear from, folks maybe you've never heard out before. doesn't mean we agree with everything they say. We can listen. We can learn things. We don't assume. Don't just take the buzzwords and the talking heads as word for it. Don't just smash send on that big uh, social media account that you follow because they got a big name and a big following. If you're wondering about something, ask. And if there's a people group that's different from you or people that think differently from you, you use this social media for something other than cat pictures and yelling at people in Washington. You can reach out and talk to them. People that are different from you, people from other parts of the country, people on the other side of the world, for that matter, you can use your social media to talk to them. You can learn from them. You don't have to guess what they think or take somebody's word for it. You can find out for yourself. That's what we're going to continue to do on tell We'll keep doing it as long as you keep watching and listening. However you're watching and listening, please make sure you're subscribing. It's very important for a lot of reasons. One is that way you don't miss anything we're doing. We make sure you get Everything we put out for you, too, is it lets us know what you are and are not watching and listening, so we can make adjustments that way. You can reach out to us, HertelShow at gmail.com, HertelShow at Twitter, whichever one you want to do. We've done whole segments just based off what people have asked about or they've had a question or they wanted to touch on a topic. We've even reached out and had people on the show because they reached out. So this is a participatory thing. Please participate. We'd sure appreciate it. Make sure you leave ratings and comments. That's really important for us. Let's folks know our little program is worth checking out. So until we see you tomorrow, a little bit more normal show on tap for tomorrow, but still more great guests, more great news, turning down the noise of the news cycle. I can't wait. I hope you can't. tell show tomorrow, wherever you and yours are. We hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on HerTel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call.